My uh, parents always wanted me to be an accountant. When I was at school, I had the opportunity to do a subject called economics, which they said would be good for me to do because they wanted me to be an accountant. Uh, And when it got to year 10, uh, I had the opportunity to do work experience. Uh, I had friends who did work experience. One of them went to Channel 9 and was the person holding the thing that went, action, pretty good job. Uh, while others went with the flying doctors and actually flew on planes around uh, New South Wales. Well, for me, my parents decided to send me to the Auditor General's office for my work experience. Can you think of anything that sounds more boring for a 15-year-old? I apologise if you work there. (laughs) To make things worse, this is what I had to do for the whole week. I was given this fat book of numbers, it would have been about that big and about that fat, and then they gave me six numbers and said, can you search through the book until you find those six numbers? And so this is what I did. It was a nightmare. Needless to say, I came away from there not wanting to be an accountant. This was also reflected in that subject called economics. I didn't want to do it, so I didn't pay attention to it, except for one thing, one thing in the four years that I did this course stuck, and it's called what is called an opportunity cost. I remember this because my teacher said to me, this is more just, it is applicable to more than just economics, it's applicable to life. He said there is an opportunity cost for everything that you do in life. And he was right, there is, isn't there? When you choose to do one thing, you miss out on the opportunity to do something else. And so because of this, there is an opportunity cost. It may be worth making that cost, but there is a cost. Now, I hope I'm not boring you with my feeble attempt at economics, but there is that point, isn't there? There is an opportunity cost to everything that we do, and that includes following Jesus. Well, today as we look at Jesus' word, I want, want us to think about what the cost of discipleship is and ask the question, Have you weighed up the cost of following Jesus? Before we get to the passage, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for what we learn from him about what it means to follow you. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what cost it is to be your disciples and help us to see that this cost is one that is worth making. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first way we see that there is a cost in following Jesus, in being his disciples, is in the way that we follow him. That is, Jesus says, can you see there in verse 23, uh, if you've got your Bibles open, we're looking at Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 21 onwards, and I want you to look there at verse 23, where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, Jesus is not saying you need to be like a Hindu or a Buddhist here. He's not saying that we deny that we exist. We're not simply atoms that are accidentally bumping into one another. We're not living in some sort of dream world like they talk about in the Matrix. But rather, Jesus is saying we must stop putting ourselves first in our lives. We must stop thinking about ourselves as being the most important in the world but rather following Jesus as the most important. Now, in this series, we've already seen that we live in a society 
where self is very important. In fact, it's more than just simply important, isn't it? It's our right that we have the ability to look after ourselves first and foremost. Uh, Nietzsche said, you have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, it does not exist. In other words, the way that you want to live is right. There is no other right way. And in many ways, our society is embracing this more and more and more in what we know as individualism. So much so that the pressure to conform to this way of thinking is huge and it is seeping into the Christian church. The older I get, the more I see individualism ripe in our churches. People interpreting how to live by, uh, by God's word, by what they think, rather than letting the text speak to them. People who dismiss clear teaching of scripture because it just simply doesn't sit well with them. And in this way, they put themselves in authority over the text. But listen to these words of Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. Jesus goes on to drive home his point by comparing what he's saying here with someone who carries a cross. Now, the image of a cross or someone carrying uh, a cross is not actually identifiable in Jesus' ministry just yet because that was to come in the future. He hadn't himself been executed on the cross yet, but clearly was pointing to what is to come. But for the original hearers, they still would have known what it was like for a person to be crucified because this was, happened throughout the Roman Empire. They would have had this image of what a person does when they carry their cross. They are like a dead man walking. That is, they walk down the path from where they were trialed, where they were held in prison, and they are humiliated by the crowds as they walk. They're mocked. They're spat upon. They have things thrown at them. Until it come, they come to the place where they're to be executed. It is a public humiliation. We know this because Jesus suffered this fate when he was crucified. But you see, the Romans did this purposefully. They wanted to put on a show in order to show the crowds around, this is what happens when you mess with the Roman Empire. It was a way of showing that they're in control and everyone else is not. The closest I can think of of what it would have been like is when we saw the execution of the Bali Nine leaders back in April 2015. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember seeing pictures of them being transported to the island, the guards taking photo with them just minutes before they were executed. And there you had their faces just looking blank. They were dead men walking. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is, those who would follow him need to look like they are dead to the world around and rather follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That is, their interests, their desires and their passions shouldn't be found first and foremost in what the world says, but rather in what Jesus teaches. So much so that people notice a difference and so respond to them. It doesn't always need to be a negative response. Often when people find out I'm a Christian, they're quite nice to me. In fact, when they find out that I'm a minister, they often apologize to me. I'm really sorry I haven't been to church. 
I said, oh, that's okay. That's between you and God, you know. But whatever response you get from people, the point is this. Follow Jesus in such a way that you look dead to the world, but you're following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is saying we are to deny what we want out of this life and chase after the things that he desires. But notice what else Jesus says here. It is a daily event. You see, he knows this is hard, and so he wants to remind us that followers every day make this decision to live for him. He knows that on some days we will stumble, but that's okay. This is where we remember God's grace comes in. He forgives us. He gives us a a new day to reset and to, to put living for him back on the agenda. Now, denying yourself and taking up your cross may mean different things for different people. I heard of one couple in Melbourne who mortgaged their house in order to pay for a youth minister at their local church. I knew of one person who gave up a day of working a week in order to do another type of ministry. I know of another person who it simply means not joining in uh, when people mock Jesus or or they don't go down to the pub with their mates from work in order to drink too much. I know a couple who every week go and pick two to three people up before church from the surrounding suburbs because they know they can't drive themselves to church, but they pick them up. Every week they do that. One friend of mine could have purchased his own house by now, but because he's giving sacrificially to church, to the local church he's at, it'll be a few more years before he buys one. I'm not, don't hear me saying that what these people have done, you need to do. Living sacrificially for the Lord Jesus Christ will mean different things for different people. And I know that there are people here who have been living sacrificially in this way. But we need to continue to ask ourselves every day, am I taking up my cross? Am I denying myself in order to follow Jesus? Because Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must follow him in this way, leaving the wants and the desires of the world behind and following the commands of Jesus. Well, the second way that we see that there's a cost in being a disciple of Jesus is that we lose our lives when we follow him. Have a look there at verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 24 to 25. It says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. You see, Jesus says there is a real opportunity cost to following him. Either you can try and save your life here on earth, that is, you can try and live life your own way, make decisions and do things that you want to do, build your kingdom and live your way and not give any regard to Jesus and his kingdom. You can live that way and we we see people living it like that all around us. Or you can lose your life to this world and live for Jesus, doing things that Jesus would desire in your life, making decisions according to his purposes for the world. Now, now the world here is, is our society around, isn't it? And Jesus is saying, if you live your life your own way here on earth, ignoring what he says, ignoring his word, you can do so, but by doing so, you will lose your life in the world to come. Why? Because only those who obey Jesus are his people. 
and only his people will go to live with him in his heaven. So if you don't live according to what, you say, what he says, but you live according to what the world around us says, then you will not get the reward that he is offering. I think as Australians, we're really great at trying to get across the line by association. When we support a sports team that wins, suddenly our language becomes, we've won, as if somehow we've imported ourselves into the team, as if the victory was somehow due to us. In a similar way, we live in a Christianized world, and we think that somehow we'll make it into God's heaven by association with him. At university, a close friend of mine, uh, I asked, uh, is he a Christian? Uh, And he said to me, well, I live in Australia. It's a Christian country. So yeah, yeah, I must be a Christian. That's being a Christian by association. If we feel that we've tried to live good lives, we've tried to help people out where we can, and so we feel that, well, really, we ought to be accepted by God because we're a pretty good person. We're good enough. Maybe we've even come to church for a long time. Maybe we've given money to the poor. And we think just by hanging out here at church and coming, well, that's good enough. It's summarized by an old uh, advert that was on the TV years ago that, that, that went like this. It said, when you get to heaven, what do you think you say? And the answer was, you'll say, g'day. That's the, the Australian thing. I'll say, g'day to God in heaven. Uh, a comedian uh, from many years ago, Paul Hogan, epitomized this when he said, she'll be right, God and me, we're good mates, no worries. But Jesus says here, it's not about being good enough. It's not about being by association, being somehow linked. But it's about whether you listen to his word. It's about whether you deny yourself. It's about whether you follow him. It's about whether you're willing to lose your life to this world in order to gain the world to come. You see, if you lose your life here on earth by living the way that Jesus tells us, Jesus says, you will gain the world to come. You will gain eternal life. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 25, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose their very self in the life to come? You see, if you want this world, if you want all this world can offer, Jesus says, you know what, you can actually have it. You can live your life by yourself, rejecting his commands and rejecting his ways. You can go your own way. And in fact, by doing so, you can become quite successful in the world. You can have an awesome life with multi-million dollar houses, with yachts and holidays. You can chase after all these things. And and in fact, we see this is what society, they they pin up these types of people. And they say, say, we love these types of people. They're, They're the ones that are acceptable to us. And they put them up on billboards. And and it's almost like they're saying to everyone else, you could be like this. And Jesus says, sure, you you can live your life this way. But he says the opportunity cost for doing so is that you will lose your very self in the world to come. Your reward, Jesus says, will be in this world and not in the world to come. An old minister of mine was walking through Mossman and started chatting uh, with a man about eternal life. Uh, This man loved where he lived. And he said, why do I want eternal life? I get that by living here in Mossman. You see, this man, he had everything. 
He did not want anything else in the world to come. He'd gained all the toys and possessions and he thought, you know what, this is it. But in the end, according to Jesus, he will lose his very self. So you see, friends, Jesus says there is an opportunity cost in following him. Now, friends, I I have to just want to acknowledge here that this is some hard teaching in the Bible. It's where the rubber hits the road, especially in terms of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, and especially living here in Sydney. We live in one of the most materialistic societies in the world. When I chat with return missionaries, they speak to me about how materialistic the Christians are in the West, and, and, and I'm of no exception here. And I fear that this mindset is infiltrating the church more and more, and it's becoming more acceptable and even the norm for Christians to be very materialistic. People think it's okay to have the latest and greatest thing. And I guess on the one hand, it's not wrong to have these things, but when it comes at the expense of helping those who are in need, when it comes at the expense of supporting local gospel ministry in churches, when it comes at the expense of gospel ministry around the world, when it comes at the expense of having Jesus as our king and listening to him, then it becomes a problem, doesn't it? You see, friends, it's all about having Jesus as our top priority in life. Even if this means we go without things in this world, it doesn't mean we'll always go without. We, we still live here in Sydney. It's a pretty awesome place to live. We are hugely blessed. But by having plenty does mean that it is harder and harder for us to have Jesus as number one in our life. And so we need to be more diligent at studying his word. We need to be be about encouraging one another and challenging one another in, in this world that we live in, helping each other to focus on him. We need to remember that being a disciple of Jesus is about obeying his commands and identifying ourselves as a follower of his. Look what Jesus says there in verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. If anyone out there is ashamed of being a follower of Jesus, not willing to step up and live their lives for him, and we hear these these words of Jesus, that he will be ashamed of them when he comes in his kingdom. Can you see the mindset, friends, that I'm trying to encourage here? A mindset that nothing else in this world should be more important than knowing Jesus, serving him, obeying him, and identifying yourselves as a follower of his. It's about being a true disciple of Jesus. And there is a cost here because it means you're not known as a disciple of anything else. While I've been arguing that there's a cost in following Jesus, I want to say there's also another good argument to say, well, actually, this is really no cost at all. Denying the things of this world, living according to God's ways, really, it's, it's just what it means to live as a thankful Christian, living in the light of the grace that has been shown to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Tokyo Olympics are only six months away. Anyone stoked about the Olympics coming up? Okay. I just want to say, this is the congregation most excited. And there's like five. So anyway, those who have been training for the coming up Olympics have been going since the last one in 2016. 
for the past four years, they've been saying no to distractions and yes to training themselves in order to prepare for the Olympics. Can you imagine training all that time? Take, for example, if we were an Olympic swimmer. Okay, imagine we're all going to meet at the pool tomorrow morning, 5 a.m., to swim 20 kilometres. You're in? Who's in? Okay, let's just say, before you get excited, let's, we're going to do this for the next six months. Now, before you get really excited, imagine we've done it for the past four years. To me, that seems a really high cost to pay. Early mornings, early to bed, special diet, weight training, missing out on parties. I I could go on and on. But what's driving Olympians? It's Olympic glory, isn't it? For them, there's no cost at all in getting up at 5am and swimming 20 kilometres because they don't want to do anything else. During the Sydney Olympics, McDonald's had a, a, a campaign where they had quotes from different Olympians on their takeaway bags. And I got one from um, a lady called Shelley Oates-Wilding, and she says this, You do not give up anything that you want to be to be an Olympian, because being an Olympian is exactly what you want. Friends, I believe that the same can be said for following Jesus. When you are a disciple of Jesus, you do not give up anything you want to follow him because following Jesus is exactly who you want to be. And I want to say for me, following Jesus and living for him is simply the best. To have a certain hope of eternal life, to have fellowship with believers like I have here at St. Andrews and I experience at other churches, to live in a way that is not just uh, obedience to God's commands, but actually I think it's the way that we get the best out of life because I think God's commands actually give us the best life. They give us life to the full. I love being a Christian. I love being a disciple of Jesus. And so for me, in that sense, being a Christian is no cost at all. I don't want to live another way. It does mean I go against the grain of society, and so from that perspective, there seems like a cost. And as the teachings of Jesus move in the direction, well, a different direction to the way that society is moving, I feel the tension there. But for me, the alternative is a worse cost. As a minister and as a volunteer New South Wales ambulance chaplain, I come across many issues that non-Christians face. And they struggle with so many things. And I just think to myself, if you just knew Jesus, if you just understood his commands, your life could be, could be so much better. And people have even said to me, I, I wish I had your faith. Because they can see that living the Christian life brings benefit in this world, but also in the world to come. And friends, this is where the rubber hits the road. And you know it when you're diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. For my wife and I, Heather, this happened nine years ago when she was diagnosed with cancer. She's now on the other side of it and living a normal and healthy life, and I praise God for that. But without the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know how we would have got through this time. I know others of you here have been through a similar trial or a similar testimony. But you see, friends, Jesus reminds us in this passage that he will come again. And he's coming in glory, in the glory of the Father. And he's coming with the holy angels. And when he does come, he comes to take his faithful disciples to be with him. And while this is possibly some time off, it could be tomorrow, but it's possibly some time off, 
These words that we hear from Jesus are here to sustain us and to help us through these times of trials. And so he urges us by his word to continue to put him number one in our lives so that when he comes back, he will be able to come and take us to be with him and to deny the things of this world because of the glory that is coming. To not chase after the things of this world or be ashamed of him in this world, but to act upon them knowing something better is coming. A reward that is, that is far greater than Olympic glory because it's the glory of the Father. It's eternal glory. It's our heavenly home. Well, friends, let me conclude. Let me urge you to continue to put Jesus as number one in your life. There is a cost to following Jesus, but it's one worth making. Jesus himself has promised that he will help us through the tough times. Remember at the end of the passage that we looked at in the first week, Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has promised to be there to help us. So friends, we need to put him as our top priority and everything else a second. Yes, this might mean there's a cost. We're not going to gain the whole world. We're not going to live lives as the world paints as full. And, but you know what? Even if we did, one day, it would mean nothing because we can't take it with us when we die. Rather, Jesus says this, follow him first and foremost and you will see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says this, friends, follow him first and foremost and you will see the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for the victory that he has won. Help us to live as his disciples. Help us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember we said that there's time to send a text message to the phone and uh, shoot through a question or a response that you might have for Mel. Uh, you can do that. Um, there's a whole bunch of questions that have come in which seem to be on a similar theme. Uh, and so this one I think represents some of them. Um, how can we be sure the opportunity cost equation in following after Jesus is worth it? Mm. That's a really great question, and I think uh, the, the, it comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus rose again from the dead, there is a life afterwards, there is an eternity, uh, and, and uh, it, it is worth it because he's been there and he knows it, and, and he, he came back from the dead to let everyone know about it, so we know about it, so it's true. So it's worth knowing because Jesus rose again from the dead. But secondly, I think uh, when you see lives changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, when you see people living out the faith um, who, who, uh, and, and you see real joy in them, um, especially at the really hard times, I think that's evidence of God working by his spirit in people's lives to let each other know that it is true. Let me give you an example. Yesterday I went to a funeral of a friend of mine who passed away from ovarian cancer. She was 51. Um, and it, you, you'd normally go to that and it would be really hard, but it was a time of great rejoicing because they have this certain hope that she is now with Jesus in heaven. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Did Jesus rise again from the dead? Yes, he did. 
So eternity is true. And I tell you what, the opportunity cost of missing out on that, of gaining things in this world, is not worth it. Got one more question here for you, Mal, um, and I'll paraphrase it a bit. Um, how can I change so that when Jesus comes back, he's not ashamed of me? <laughs> wow. Great questions. You guys ask good questions. <laughs> um, I, th- I think you, you, it comes back to prayer, comes back to reading God's word and letting God's word dwell in you richly. Well, you looked at that last week, didn't we? Letting dwell in you richly. So you think about it, you, you mull over it, you, you look for ways to have it change your life. Um, and we, we call each other accountable. So uh, it's important that you know, uh, I'm trying really hard this year to meet up with three people to read the Bible one-on-one so that I can be encouraging them and they can be encouraging me that we can let God's word dwell richly in us and we can challenge each other and spur one another on. I really want to encourage you that um, uh, you should be part of a, a small group if you can, but if, uh, and as well as that, if you can, read the Bible one-to-one with someone. Push them, urge them on to let God's spirit and God's word change them. Uh, and as we do this together, uh, I think we will grow and we will change so that when uh, Jesus comes back, he won't be ashamed of us. Um, and I want to just add to that. Um, the wonderful thing about putting your trust in the Lord Jesus is he takes away your sin for all time. And so when Jesus, when God, we stand before God on that judgment day, he sees Jesus in us. And so he won't be ashamed of us if we put our trust in him. I've got one more question now. Um, it says... How do we live in the tension of the somewhat burdening take up your cross daily with Jesus' yoke being easy and his burden being light? I want to come back to this funeral that I went to yesterday. The, the hope that we have in eternity, I, I think we, we live in a society that puts death to the side. It, it, if you, someone dies in your house, someone will come and take it and the body and they'll wrap it up. They'll even put makeup on it, they'll make it look good and, they'll, and, and you, you can even view the body and people go, oh, isn't that lovely? They look so peaceful and things like I think we, the sting of death is taken out of our society by the materialism, by the individualism, by... And I think if we could just capture a tiny bit that, of that again and recognise the wonderful thing that eternity is, things start to pale into insignificance. What's that, what's that hymn? The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.